welcome to Connected, episode 352. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. We're also joined by Mike Hurley. Mike, how are you? I'm good. Nobody's happier that you're back than me. So you don't have to edit? Exactly. I appreciate your work every week. Thank you. I enjoyed the show. It's fun to listen to it. I don't get to do that very often. You could you could just listen back every week if you oh. wanted to. Well, I do during the edit, but... There you go. You get to do it every time. You're the only one of us that does listen back. We have some follow-up about email applications. Big mail. Big mail. So it launched, it launched rockily, I think, is probably the best way to put it. There were tons of bugs. But I'm not surprised, honestly. This seems like a really complicated type of app to just launch. Um, many people, including my two co-hosts here, decided not to, to bother using the application after they found out there was no archive feature. I actually didn't use it. I started using the app for the first time today because you'd both, I was busy that day and you'd both downloaded it and just said, there's no archive in this application. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this. Like there was no ability yeah. to archive an email, yeah. nor was there an archive to view. Yep. I've tried it since then. So I have a couple, I mean, okay. I tried it today. So I have a couple thoughts, okay. but, but please continue. But I tried it all for the first time this morning because there was an update that came out that fixed a bunch of bugs, which is cool. And the developer added an archive feature, which I think is also cool. I'm going to hand it to, um, what's the developer's name? Philip something. We'll say Philip. We'll just go with Philip. Maybe like Cordell or something. Philip. Yes. I got to hand it to him, right? That like, obviously he had an opinion. Like this is a very opinionated application, right? Mm. And his opinion was you don't need an archive like our friends over at Hey. Uh, not friends. That was the point of that. Um, mm. Because I complained about this back when we were first talking about, hey, I didn't like that there was no archive. It was just once you saw an email, it became seen. And then that was just lived in that little area forever. But he took on the feedback and added an archive immediately, basically, to the application. So that's the thing. So I will talk you through some of my experiences having used it just a little bit. Um I like the approach of breaking email out into sections in the application. So it is like a tab bar segmented app. On the iPhone, there are too many sections, though. So there are more sections that live underneath the like the little dots than there are on the tab bar. However, there is also this kind of like, here's what's new view, which shows you like a summary of everything that's happened since you last open the app basically in all of those sections but the it's called the latest but in general like this idea of of making sections in uh the in the app is i don't know i kind of like it you know it's like a, a um a supercharging of what google's been doing for a while right with like promotions and all that kind of stuff where they they basically put your email into buckets for you messages i found are formatted quite strangely so, like, I, I had an email from uh, Apple, I think it was, like the Apple Store, because I had to buy new um, tips for my AirPods because one of them just, like, ripped off this morning, which was an interesting thing that happened to me. Like, you know, like the little rubber tip, it just, hmm. like, came off the plastic part. Okay. It just, like, pff, came off. I don't know. Um, and so I ordered some of those, uh, and the email was, like, zoomed in. And I couldn't zoom out. I could just pan around the email, which was weird. So like the <laughs> formatting, the way it's like formatting email. And I know this is difficult because 
I've seen this of applications in the past, right? Like Airmail and Spark. They're much better at it now, but initially there's like a bunch of stuff you have to try and do to get the email to stay within the con like the confines of the screen that it's looking at. Um, the conversations view, I know what this is meant to be, which is this is meant to be all of the email that I exchange with people. So I see kind of like the conversations, right? So if me and e Stephen are emailing back and forth on something, this is where you could find all of those, right? Whether they're new or old. But I have a couple of issues of it. One, it doesn't give me any kind of indication as to how many emails are in the thread unless I click into it. And it also does a bad job of threading. Um, I feel like maybe I've taken for granted apps like Spark that do a really nice job of formatting. Yeah. And Apple Mail does this too, right? They format an email thread like it's all separate emails without you yep. needing to look through all of the indent nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. This app doesn't do that. But my biggest issue with the conversation view is most of the stuff that's in there is really old. Like it isn't pulling in all of my email that I've sent or the conversations that I'm having. And it's also showing every single one of them as a conversation with myself so the, the, the name of every thread is just Mike Hurley, <laughs> which wow. that, doesn't, that doesn't feel right. I, I think it's meant it, what it should be showing is the person I've emailed, but instead it's just showing my name hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times, which I don't know, that, that doesn't seem like that's working properly. Um, it has a newsletter section, right? So, and this is one of the things that the application, it's like an area where you can go in and just read all your newsletters and they format them nicely. I find it peculiar though, that you have to tell the app that a newsletter is a newsletter. I just kind of assumed that it was going to work that out on its own. It's also kind of weird to me that there's a discovery section of newsletters in the application that you can then go and subscribe to. And I don't really, that's just like a, I don't know. That just feels peculiar to me. Wait, really. like you can find newsletters you aren't subscribed to and go yeah. sign up for them? Yeah. I wonder if that's like a business thing. I mean, this app is expensive, but like, do you think that's... I have no idea. I mean, when I, well, when I click out one of the links, extra techeries in there, it, it doesn't like format an affiliate link or anything in the email. Hmm. In the link, so... So maybe it's it just, just a... It says at the bottom, these links are being provided as a convenience and for... In informational purposes only they do not constitute an endorsement or an approval, approval oh, okay sorry. there you go but it, it's just i mean there, there is a there is an endorsement and approval because they've been specifically picked i mean i don't know like you, it's not like every email newsletter in the world like the developer picked them but legal stuff or whatever um i guess you know like ultimately i get to tell the app what the newsletters are but i also assumed that there would be some smart supplied to it because i mean i don't I haven't tried this yet because I haven't had the opportunity to make something in newsletter, but I have no idea if that information is going to sync from device to device because like none of the accounts do. So like you, I have to sign in to every account manually on every device that I want to use it on, which I understand why that is because then there's no, like I know this is like a thing about other apps where people are like, oh, they're saving your login credentials and it's just like a whole big thing. So, like, fine, but I have no idea if that information will sync. I would like to believe that it would, though. Um, hmm. One thing I found peculiar, there's a bunch of categories, right? So you've got, like, purchases, events, that kind of stuff. None of my old email is saved 
in these buckets. So it seems like a lot of this stuff will apply from today rather than stuff that's back in time, which is difficult because then I can't get an idea of what this is going to look like until it happens. Yeah, well, I had, uh, I mean, there's the bouncer, which is like the screener in Hay. It had mm-hmm. things that were in my inbox, like in my Gmail inbox, and it moved yes. them there before they would show up. So like some stuff gets pre or gets sorted into things immediately and some stuff doesn't. Uh, I found hmm. that to be a little confusing. And don't mess with things that are already in my inbox. Yes. It requires app-specific passwords for Gmail. And I don't know why. So I think what has happened here is Google has changed their authentication for mail clients. Uh, Mailplane is a Mac app a lot of people like, including uh, Jason. And they have recently announced that they're actually shutting down partially because of what Google has done with like the login flow okay, and, and that sort of thing. So, so okay. maybe, it's, maybe it's that. I don't know for sure. I don't know. I'm not sure if they're even related, but I do know Google has made changes in that area. Okay. Because that was just weird to me. Like I've, every other email app I've ever used just gives you the like Google sign in with your Google account thing. Right? Yeah. And, and unlike Fantastical, where you have to sign into all your accounts everywhere, or at least Fantastical used to be that way, uh, what Big Mail does is. Once you create that that app specific password, it saves that to iCloud Keychain. So I set up on my Mac, and then I launched the iOS app. I told it to restore purchases because I want to talk about the flow going into it because I think it's confusing. And then it said, "Hey, we notice uh, that you have this one-time password saved for this account. Do you want to enable that account?" So at least you don't have to do it on all of your devices. Once you do it once, okay. it's like in the big mail universe. Okay, well, that's cool then. That's cool then. I was just, I'd never come across that before. Like, I've, I have it for iCloud, right? Apple have done this for ages for iCloud, but I'd never seen that with, with Gmail. There are no swipe actions on email. So, like, I had a bunch of stuff in my inbox, like five or six, that were just, like, Google alert things because I'd signed in, right? So I had, like, six emails or whatever because Google just loves to alert you because I signed in with two different uh no, it's only with one Gmail account, but it just sent a bunch of email. And I had to like deal with them all individually by either opening and archiving them or just long pressing and archiving them. Um, I do really like the layout and the design in general. I think that in that respect, it has lived up to what I think a lot of people were looking for, which is imagine if Apple put effort into the mail app. It would maybe look something like this, Right, it looks like a platform native app, right? It looks like all of the typical conventions of design that an iOS app should with some addition with some extras, right? Like it has these little previews of an email in the notifications, which I I like that, like a visual preview of what the email looks like inside. I like that kind of stuff. Um like I feel like I've been very critical, but there is a lot of stuff that needs to be worked on with this app, I think. But I do have faith in the developer to add features because so far he seems to have been pretty responsive with that. So it has not been a uh, 
flawless launch by any stretch of the imagination at this point. But I am intrigued to see if or how hmm. it is going to continue from now on. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed because I was really hoping, like from last week's conversation, like this was going to be the new app for me. Uh, but I've put some accounts into it. I'm not going to be like moving anything to it. I'm just going to kind of run them in parallel for a while and see how it goes. But it's 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 rough around the edges. Something that I struggled to understand when I tested the app, and that was before the 1.1 update that added the archive feature, was to understand the flow of Big Mail. And I'm not sure I get it still. Like, does the app have a concept of this is new mail, this is old mail you've already dealt with? Yes. Because it's, okay. It does. So, I mean, again... I don't know what you saw, right? Because I never looked at the app that way. But all of the new mail is shown to you in the section called the latest. Okay. And then everything else is either in the specific buckets, like the conversations bucket or whatever. Um, and then you can go into the other areas. And then they also have something called everything, which is where everything lives. Yeah, that, that, that was the impression that I got, that like there were too many ways to look at the same stuff. The, and yes. I thought there is like a regular email client hidden inside this application. Yes. Which is under the everything area. And that's what I found kind of confusing because then I was also expecting, okay, then I guess I should be able to see my email folders in here. But I don't think you can see those folders. I like don't if think you so. have a if you have a like a same later or same news mailbox, and obviously like I think this kind of application wants you to stop using that kind of additional service, right? Because yeah. it's organizing email for you. So using SaneBox is kind of redundant for mm -hmm. this kind of app. It's trying to be that. It's trying to be that, but locally on device and all that. Um, but I was confused because like, I opened the conversations view and that was basically like a replica of my sent folder, right? Those are conversations that I'm participating in, which means I've sent a message. Like usually when I want to see something that I've replied to, I just go to my sent um email section and those are my conversations right mm -hmm. and i struggle to understand like how is it different you know conversations and sent what's the difference here and then i didn't understand like is big mail moving messages out of my inbox or not like the sections that i see newsletters purchases um conversations the latest if i open mail or gmail which i'm keeping on the side Am I still going to see like duplicate messages in the inbox? Like, does it leave stuff in the inbox? Or is the organization that it does within Big Mail just a custom thing? I think it's a you, custom thing. Mm. So like if you into open those Gmail, little buckets. If you open Gmail, you see everything in the inbox still, right? Well, because usually, what, like. <laughs> unless I archive it. I mean, again, this is what I don't know what it was like before, right? So I'm still archiving yeah. the email when I'm done with it. So then it's archived, like it, it, it that will reflect in other applications. But it like the the application doesn't create like a folder structure like something mm. like Sparrow used to, right? That it hasn't like gone ahead and created a bunch of big mail related uh, folders 
there, there is a little slight addendum to that, which Stephen's going to mention in a minute, I think. But it hasn't created like a bunch of folders that it's now putting all my email into. It hasn't done that. All right. Which I think is related to this thing that Stephen found today before we recorded. Yeah, so I played with it and I like what it's trying to do, but I just don't want my email in a bunch of different buckets. But one thing I noticed going back to Apple Mail is that all of a sudden I had a big mail folder set up as like an IMAP folder in my account. And you clicked in there and it has messages that have attachments on them that seem to be settings files. So one of the things with big mail is that it is doing the sorting and stuff all locally, right? That it's not going through some sort of cloud server and whatever, like that's fine. Do what you want to do. But this app does it all locally. And I think the way they're doing it, at least partially, yeah, I, found it, I found the help article. Is, is with this Why do file. I have loads of emails called app data in a big mail folder? To sync settings for reply later, the bouncer and scene categorizations, Big Mail uses a special folder called Big Mail to write data that can be read from all your devices. Big Mail manages this folder automatically. It will periodically add, remove, and combine these emails, so it's best not to remove anything in this folder, otherwise you may lose some of your settings. It's a pretty smart way of doing it, I think. Because none of that information is now leaving your email accounts, right? And it's able to keep in sync that way. It feels a little janky, but it's kind of ingenious, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hidden in big mail. I only saw it when I went back to Apple Mail. Right. So I think this is very promising. I just think that this launch has been rougher than expected. And yeah. I think people are a little surprised at the high price. Uh, also, the the onboarding is, is really... I don't think it's good. Like, you open the app for the first time, and it's like, do you want monthly or yearly? Both come with a trial. Yeah, a lot of apps do that these days, and I don't, I don't like yeah, it. Right? Especially yeah. with something like this. Like, let me poke around first, and then as I approach those fourteen days, put a banner up in the app or something. You know, let me know. Well, <laughs> but, this is the thing with hey, remember? I try. And to then think Apple about it. said you need to give people the ability to create a demo account so they can go in and look at the app. Well, this doesn't require an account. Right, this is just... But I think this app could benefit from me being able to go in and see, even with fake data, yeah, what it's going to do before I give them $70 a year or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think so. So I signed up for the two-week trial. I'm going to see how it goes over the next couple of weeks. If they continue to put out updates, who knows where it might end up going in the future, but I don't know. I'm... Um, I'm Decide, I like decided to keep an open mind hmm. on it. That's a good approach. Uh, purely because like I like what the app is wanting to do, hmm. and I am encouraged by the the changes in the app so far. So I want to, you know, I want to. I'm going to keep an open mind with it, and I'm going to keep poking around with it. But this isn't the only mail app you've tried. Right. No, I downloaded an app called I assume this is called Mimestream. Where did this come from? I've downloaded Big Mail on my iPhone, but I'm also using Gmail on my iPhone. Remember I have all these email accounts and I don't want them in the same place, right? Yeah. So I my Cortex brand email, 
I really want in its own application, even if I don't do anything else. I've always done this. I've just wanted that email separate because it's like so different to the other types of email that I get. It's like whiplash. So I wanted to keep that email on its own. First, I had it in Outlook. Then I moved it to Hey. Now it's back to Gmail again, and I've been using the Gmail app on my iPhone, on my iPad. But there isn't a Gmail app for the Mac, right? And I don't want to be... like. It's too tricky for me to be logged in on all the time because then like I have so many Google accounts. So I was thinking I wanted to get an app for the Mac for Gmail. People love Mailplane, but that's going away. And I remembered an application that I heard Stephen talk about on Mac Power Users called MimeStream. Mm-hmm. Mimestream? MimeStream. I don't understand the name. Isn't Mime... Uh... Some sort of email. Mime is an email thing, right? Yeah, email protocol or something. I don't yeah. care. It's a bad name. Uh, but nevertheless, really nice app. It's like, again, uh, an Apple Mail looking thing if Apple mm-hmm. Mail was modern, <laughs> right? Because it integrates all of the Gmail features and mm-hmm. can to your, you know, like sorting things automatically for you, highlights when there's a attachment. This is a very nice application. So I've been checking this out today. I just started using it today, but I think it's really nice. It's like, it's, it's a beta. Did you see who builds it? No. Uh, it's this, uh, this guy, Neil Havari, who spent seven and a half years at Apple working on mail. <laughs> Makes perfect sense because not only does it, does it work and feel good, I'm sure this person was frustrated maybe and decided to go make yeah. their own app. Do moan. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. I really would recommend, because it's in beta right now, I really would recommend a different name. Because Mime Stream, it sounds like a streaming video thing, or, right? Like, it does no sound. Just, it, this, get it. this, yeah, so, yeah. The name just doesn't, I, the name does not connect for me. Yeah. Right. At Neil, all. can you please make an iOS version of this? Yes. Yes. Yeah, nice, right? Thank you, Neil. Uh, this looks really nice. And man, it, it really does show just how much Apple is is just leaving Apple Mail in the past at this yep. point, right? Yep. Which I, I, and I wrote this today, like it's incredible to realize this after the year that we just lived through with remote work and just, you know, not being at the office and using email a lot. Like, how is it possible that mail still basically looks the same as 10 years ago with no new features? And when they did try to bring something new to to, to Apple Mail with the weird toolbar buttons, basically the entire user base revolted and, and now, mm-hmm. you know, the toolbar is back to normal again. But like, that's... They are working on an iOS and iPadOS app. But just imagine, imagine if Apple Mail got the Apple Notes treatment, right? Mm-hmm. It's fun to, it's fun to drink, to dream. Yeah. Mike, did you notice in its settings that you can have the thing you want, where say you're on, you have two unread messages, and you archive the first one, it doesn't automatically select and mark as read the next one. I have not come across this yet because I haven't had enough email in that account. 
but I it makes me so happy when when an application adds this. I have been lucky enough to force this feature into a couple of email apps over my, my lifetime because I don't understand this idea of like if I deal with one email, what I definitely want is the next one mm-hmm. immediately. I must have it open. Yeah. So that's cool. I would have I would have gone searching for that. So I'm very pleased that you've told me that it exists. It also has a, a related setting. Mark messages as read immediately after a delay or manually. So you Oh can- my god, oh, nice. that's so good. This person understands email. Yeah. Come on. Neil, we need two things, Neil. We need an iOS version and we need just a slight change to it. why do you call it like my mail? Why is stream? I think stream's my issue. Why it's stream? My, my I don't understand the stream part. My mail. Why mime? Well, it's because it's a thing, right? Some email yeah, protocol. It's and a that, mail nerd. I don't joke. like it, but that's I can understand it. I don't get the stream part. I'm sure that there's something I'm missing, right, about this. But uh, stream it and email. It, it's just the reason I would suggest it. It's not. It's not memorable. I knew this app. I knew what it looked like. I knew its features. I could not think of what it was called, and I had to ask Stephen. And luckily, Stephen's memory is better than mine. You can also set the keyboard shortcuts to Gmail or Apple Mail. It's got all sorts of cool stuff in it. Uh, this is like uh, all these options, they remind me of, what's it called? Um, Mailmate on the Mac? Yeah, but Mailmate's like a markdown text editor with IMAP bolted to it. it it's weird. That nice. sounds fun. That sounds great. Big recommend for MimeStream. Mm-hmm. It's, only, it's in beta right now, but... As soon, yeah. as, soon as he adds printing, this is going to be my mail client on the Mac. It doesn't have printing. Not yet. Printing? Oh, like export to PDF. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't have either. Uh, like you're not actually printing your email. No app does this better than Spark, by the way. Spark has a dedicated PDF button that you can press. This episode of Connected is made possible by Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by the biggest creators on the web. Generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. You've heard us talk about the Relay FM membership program. Well, Memberful is the platform that we built our membership on top of. They make it super easy to generate new revenue streams for the business, but much more importantly, it makes it easy to deliver bonus content to Relay FM members. So it integrates with a bunch of really cool stuff. So we have our Discord server. You can set up Discourse as well. You can do uh, hook it up to different email clients, deliver secret things over RSS, have downloads. It's great. All these tools make it really easy to build a really compelling offering. So if you have a project that you're looking to monetize, you should definitely look at Memberful. Maybe you're already producing content that's reliant on advertising or other means of income. Well, Memberful makes it easy to diversify that. They include custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay support, free trials, private podcast, and ton more, while leaving you as the creator in full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. Get started for free at memberful.com slash connected. There's no credit card required. Go to memberful, M-E-M-B-E-R-F-U-L, memberful.com slash connected to check it out. Could be the start of something really exciting for your project. 
Our thanks to Memberful for the support of the show and Relay FM. I have a little more follow-up. Eric sent us a link to an episode of the MXU podcast or M by U podcast. It's M little X U. Uh, wherein they talk to Webster Tarleston, who is an owner of a company called Axis Audio, who have supplied some Atmos mixes to Apple for spatial audio. The main takeaway here is that Apple is not using some of the data supplied by audio engineers concerning binaural audio, which is what is in, which is something that is included in the uh, Atmos information that it's end over federico can you, do you can you give an explanation for binaural audio i can try if no gone okay no i i cannot i have okay no binaural audio you can create binaural audio with binaural microphone and the, the main selling point here is binaural audio allows for you when using headphones audio to sound like it's coming from around you it can put audio in different areas and it makes it sound like you've got that open sound stage right because it sounds like things are coming it's like it fakes the surround sound kind of thing open sound stage so but instead of using this information that is coming from the audio engineers apple have created their own algorithm that synthesizes hmm. it what they want to be a virtual studio around your head so the idea i think is that it's bigger like not everything's not happening like directly in your ears. It could feel like it's happening also far away. So uh, something that Webster said on the show is that the algorithm has also continued to be tweaked since the um, the launch of spatial audio Apple Music, and is get and he believes getting better. So just wanted to share that. Thought it was interesting. So that may explain why some songs in with special audio at launch, they sounded really strange. And why some readers told me over the past few few weeks, like, I believe they fixed the song and they updated some songs. And I thought that was also strange. Like, how, how can you update songs? But I guess if software is involved and algorithms are involved, this is just kind of the world that we're living in now. Songs mm -hmm. can be updated and they sound different, which is funny to think about. I guess that they're probably not even updating the songs. Right. They're just updating the way that the audio is interpreted by the headphones. Right. But but the, from an experience standpoint, you're listening yes. to, to one song and it sounds a certain way. And then a few days pass or a few weeks pass and you listen again, it sounds different. <laughs> Buddy Holly 2021.06. Yeah. Wonderwall 2.5. <laughs> 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 But, so there you yeah, go. cool follow-up. Stephen Broken of a product. Ugh. Are we surprised? Uh, like Stephen Broken Apple Watch. Stephen broke his watch. Care to explain? I was explain yourself. camping with my family, and uh, where we were had waterfalls and, and stuff, and I was going to... There's a section where you can like jump down this waterfall into the water below, and uh, I went to go do that, and smashed my apple watch on a rock under the water it survived like i mean the screen was shattered but it still worked and i could still kind of make out the time I, I thought it would be dead instantly i mean it was i can't believe water didn't get in it but like every 15 minutes it would be like the loud noise warning like even if i was just like like oh. i was laying down in a hammock that afternoon <laughs> and it was like 
it's 90 decibels in here. You're gonna lose your hearing. <laughs> and I couldn't turn it off because where the, where the setting was for that, the screen didn't respond to touch. So that was a bummer. Uh, but I got home and I had my Series 5 here and I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just wear my Series 5 until there's uh, a new watch. So I then went through the process of unpairing the Series 6 to create a backup. That's, only, that's how you back up an Apple Watch. You have to unpair it and the backup is created. So I did that, set up the Series 5, you know, plugged mm-hmm. it, you know, had it on the charger so it has some juice again, and it would... Uh, not apply the backup. It would, it would only see backups that were really old. It's like, oh, it's probably running watchOS 6, right? We're on 7 now, 8 is coming. So it's probably on an older version of watchOS. So I unpaired that one, set it up again as like a new watch, updated watchOS on it, which took forever. Like, boys, the Series 6, it sort of seems faster. I don't know if it actually is. Maybe it's a a uh, watch, watch never boils, but I was eventually, <laughs> I was eventually able to repair it and then select the backup from the Series 6. And that backup went on fine, no problems. But it really just reminded me like how tedious this process is. Also, you can't seem to get rid of old watchOS backups. Like I have watchOS backups from like watchOS 2 and 3 in there, but... Oh, well, I guess I'm just carrying those around forever. That's weird. Uh, This is the second Apple Watch you've broken. Yes. I've never broken an Apple Watch. You don't wear one. I'm wearing it today, actually. Hmm. So take that. Steven, I don't know what to say to you anymore. Be more careful, really. Yeah. So how did you do it? Well, when we jumped down into the water, like, I didn't hit a rock, but... Okay, stop right there. Why are you jumping into the water? Yeah. Because, like, that's what you do with this place. Like, you... But you kind of did hit the rock, though. I don't understand how you could say you didn't hit the so, rock. So, like, my... It's not like I slammed into a rock with my body, but... Well, the watch... The watch... The watch like, did. ...saved you. If you weren't wearing the watch, you would have busted your wrist. The watch was on. like your your shield. Yep. It's like in movies when, like, someone gets shot and then they take a Bible out of their pocket and the yes. Bible caught the bullet. That's basically what happened to you, but with an Apple Watch, your wrist and a rock. Have you have you written a letter to Tim Cook about this yet? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can be in the commercial that. with Kyle. Yeah, the Apple Watch saved me from a graze on my I wrist. I was sliding down a waterfall, and the Apple Watch saved my life. I can see the headlines on like uh, what's it called, Tennessee Tennessee News, whatever. Like uh, Tennisopolis, <laughs> forty-year-old saved by Apple Watch. 40? Yeah, yeah basically. basically that. Round basically. up. 35. Yeah, you could round up from that to 40. It's not even my half birthday yet. I still feel like I'm rounding down. You can round up. To 30. Nah. <laughs> you, went, no, you went too far. You round down to 35. <laughs> round up to 40. So yeah, another Apple Watch. Spice the dust. Are you going to replace it? Probably not, right? Uh, I don't even know if this one has Apple Care on it. I need to look. I mean, like... Even if it did, like, I mean, if it didn't, you wouldn't get a new no. Series 6, right? No, You'd that's why I, I went back to my Series 5. I was like, it's, I mean, it's basically July, so. What, what materials are your Series 6? Which one did you get? The uh, gray aluminum. Okay, so you've gone from aluminum back to titanium. Yes. Or I guess titanium, as you would call it. <laughs> 
titanium titaniumopolis no titanium right aluminum titanium titanium right sure titanium that must be how it works in america titanium i like the titanium a lot more than i remembered but uh it's definitely heavier and you know the series six has the screen brightness way better when your wrist is down and it's funny now to like catch it brightening up but it's fine i've just remembered i don't own a series six i have a series five do i own a series six of course you do i think i do right i just i'm looking behind my watch uh yeah i do okay cool how was it different? Oh yeah, the blood oxygen stuff. That yeah. and the the screen is brighter when in uh, sort of wrist down mode. Oh yeah, it's it's brighter in the always on display is brighter. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I guess I never noticed. So there's less of a like transition. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So, anyways, no one tell David Sparks because he thinks that I break a lot of Apple devices, and I think that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? We tell you you break a lot of Apple devices. Why is, why is David... I'm just saying he's, he's under that impression, falsely. The impression that everybody else is under? Mm-hmm. Yes. You are unlike anyone I've ever met. I, I don't know anybody that does the things that you do. I don't understand it. I don't... I mean, in hindsight, jumping off a waterfall with an Apple Watch on was probably a bad idea. And, like, the thing is, you don't even strike me as a clumsy person. I'm not. I don't think. <laughs> How would you explain this? I don't think that you are as well, like particularly daring, like maybe more daring than me, but maybe not, like, it is though. But maybe I guess it is. Maybe like the level that I am at is the amount of daring just before you break things. Mm. Like just and the same for you, Federico. Just like just one click up is where Steven is, and that is where you break everything. I don't jump off anything, really. That's not going to break anything. Bad things will happen if I jump mm-hmm. off platforms or whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could say I'm a real fireball because I'm daring. Ooh. I've chosen not to say anything. What do y'all think about iPads getting bigger? Please. Yes. Thank you. I want one. <laughs> cool. Uh, moving on. <laughs> this is from, uh, from Mark Gurman. He's in the newsletter business, but the yep. newsletter is owned by his employer. And know. it's free. But so. it's, and it's free. I have it set up to go to Feedbin with all my other newsletters. And Gurman suggests that Apple is working on larger iPads, possibly 14 or 16 inches in size. This seems to be multiple years away. This isn't like coming this fall. But uh, I think it makes a, a lot of sense. Federico, what do you think? Yeah, this is fun. I actually remember talking about this idea in a, in a briefing um, at WWDC many, many years ago. Um, like throwing around the idea of like, yeah, I would actually love a bigger, a bigger iPad Pro. And uh, I still believe that... So are you saying you're responsible? Is that what you're saying? You're responsible I'm, for Look, this? I'm responsible for many things, all right? Um, okay. maybe, all right this is, maybe this is one of them. I don't maybe. know. But um, no, seriously, I mean, if you're Apple, you must be thinking about this sort of stuff, right? Um, especially given the sort of direction that they're going with iPadOS and multitasking. I think it's one obvious... Uh, idea would be, well, we've built this new foundation in, I, in iPadOS 15. Maybe we're even considering freeform multi, multi-windowing now. If you look at Quick Note, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And, and I guess the obvious um, you know, next step would be, well, 
what if we took things a step further and we made an even bigger iPad Pro that allowed you to do more of that kind of multitasking, right? So you could imagine multiple split views instead of just two of uh, uh, two apps open at the same time. Maybe even multiple floating windows that you can resize like a picture-in-picture -picture type um, type window. And um, I think they should do this. And it's fun to it's fun to think about. Uh, you look at Windows 11, right? And, and all the things that Microsoft has been doing. Microsoft has always been ahead of Apple when it comes to multitasking and snapping and that sort of stuff. And you look at Windows 11, what they do with the snapping menu and all the multiple layouts that you can choose from. And that is exactly the kind of feature that I would love to have on iPadOS and that I could also see, however, being somewhat tricky to get right on, on an 11-inch iPad or on a 12.9-inch iPad Pro. So bigger iPad more freedom for snapping and split view layouts and maybe even proper freeform windowing that is not like exactly like a Mac OS, but maybe inspired by the Mac and more similar to what we have on iPad with QuickNote in iPadOS 15 and picture-in-picture, picture, right? So yes, you can resize the window, but you have limited options. You can throw it around, but it automatically docks to certain corners of the display. So that kind of thing, I, th I believe it will lend itself well to a bigger iPad Pro. Now, obviously the question is, well, how big do you want to go with an iPad that still needs to remain an iPad, right? We're not talking about a, a 20 a 20, 20 inch iPad, right? It still needs to remain a tablet that if you want, you can detach from from the magic keyboard and hold in your hands. Does it though? Can't they just make a desktop that runs iPad OS? Well, sure. Is, is it called an iPad at that point? MacPad. Is it an iPad? Like it, is it still a iMac? tablet? No, I think that one's that taken. One? Okay. One's taken. What about? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any other ideas. Is that the end? We found the end iPad, of that iPad Studio. I don't know. Mm. I feel like my, so Mike and Jason actually talked about this in the latest episode of Upgrade. Like you could see how if they do this, they could potentially show it off in specific contexts, right? Instead of like if they announce a 15-inch or 16-inch iPad Pro, instead of showing people holding this giant iPad with one hand, you would show people using it on their lap and using yeah, I can the pencil. Hold the 12.9 with one hand. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but I feel like. It would be also fine to say this is an iPad that you can still use as an iPad, but it's more optimized for that kind of workflow, for that kind of use case. Just like an iPad mini is not optimized for the kind of multitasking you can do on an iPad Pro. And that is okay, because different sizes, different workflows, and, and, it, and it's totally fine. So I think it's time to go bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, we have small iPads. We have the smallest iPad with the iPad mini. And uh, we could probably have a bigger iPad as well. I would be into it because mm -hmm. I use the 12.9 like it's a laptop anyway. Like I could go to 14. I could go to 16. Like that would I would be perfectly happy with that. Um, I would actually quite welcome it. Why not? I mean, you know, you say like how much bigger is 14 than 12.9? I mean, it's bigger. Any any more is more, right? Like you just keep making these things bigger like they have in the past. Like we started out with a 9.7 inch 
with on the small version and now we're up to 11 and that's been a significant difference over time like so i i would i would very much welcome it going up to say 15 inches or whatever i think that would be great yeah do you think they would make it fit i mean it would get physically bigger still right like right. they're probably going to keep those bezels on the ipad i don't yeah. i don't imagine them getting rid of them no i mean i think you've got to have some place to tuck face id into Right, and they want, and they want the. I think they want the bezels to be the same all the way around. Like I don't think they're going to notch it. So, well, I mean, eventually they're going to be able to put the face ID under the display. So if that's a few years away, yeah, but but I think even then you're going to have some sort of bezel. I mean, it could get smaller. Uh, the thing that I really wonder about in this is the opportunity for accessories, like not the sad. Docking a thing stand, that Federico has. A stand. That, yeah. A stand. A proper yeah, stand. Like, what what does this look like if you want to use it more like uh, a desktop? Like that's mm. an opportunity for Apple to do more stuff, is opportunity for third parties to do more stuff. Because the iPad has never really been that good as a productivity device without something holding it up or having a keyboard on it. So I think it, it would be really exciting to see like what that would be like. Even if it wouldn't be for me, I think it would be exciting to see what new things could happen in that space. Uh, Apple have released 22 new Apple Watch bands. Uh, not for the Olympics. <laughs> don't don't get it twisted. Uh, they're just for the international love of sport, of course. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, they lo they, people love sports internationally. internationally. And now's the time to internationally release some international bands. For the... Um, these are obviously for the Olympics, but the expectation, I guess, is there is some kind of legal reason that without paying the Olympic Committee a bunch of money, they can't say it, because they do... They really, like, it is... They do some somersaults. There you go. I'm keeping it in theme here. Uh, to get around not saying Olympics in this press release. Um, and Apple have done this in previous times for the Olympics. I think in the past they have actually said it's for the Olympics, but they yes. haven't this time. Yeah. Uh, you got to imagine someone at Apple has been sitting on this for a year yeah. at this point, right? <laughs> like these were made a long time ago. Um, and they're going to have, again, uh, app clips in the boxes so you can get your uh, Apple Watch face that corresponds with it. But if you, on an iPhone, go to the Apple website, there is somewhere you can get the watch faces from for the different countries. Some of them look really good. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I like them. Yeah, I, I do I do really want to know what that looks like. Oh, we have this warehouse full of Apple Watch bands, and then the Olympics get put on hold for a year. It's like, uh, like now what? You have someone's job to like babysit those. But one of my favorite things about when they do this is the fact that they do tie it to countries because it is almost redundant how many red white and blue ones there are <laughs> in various <laughs> in, <laughs> right if they just made them the colors rather than saying that they're for a different like so you got france great britain italy uh the usa south korea uh and russia <laughs> they're all just red white and blue that's 
well, Great Britain, I should say, probably. Yeah, the, the, and the, the Mexican one is basically the Italian one as well. Like, if you're Italian and you want to buy a, a, a watch band uh, for your country, you can easily get either the Italian one or the Mexican one. And depending on your taste, I think the Mexican one is actually better because it's it got the It is kind green... of funny. I, I know the, the Italian tie to blue in sports. Yes, but the the Italian watch band is predominantly a blue watch band. Yes, and <laughs> the, like, a bold choice. <laughs> if you show it off to if you show it to someone without telling them like what's the Italian one, I think they would say the Mexican one is the yeah, Italian definitely. one. Right, it's because it's the tricolor, right? Like it's yeah. well, whatever you would call. It. Do you call it the tricolor? Is that just in yes? France? That's actually okay. correct. No, it's correct. Yeah. Okay. See, it's you know, funny, you, you know, you know Europe, Mike. Unlike um, yeah, somebody else. <laughs> I like the Netherlands one. The Netherlands one's nice. Uh, the New Zealand one is nice too. The Greek one is nice. It's just the blue and white uh, vertical stripe. And the Canadian one too, I like. So I think the New uh, Zealand I'll... face looks the best of all the faces. It's nice and simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Go sports. I mean, it's not the Winter Olympics. Hooray for international sports <laughs> happening at any point. Every four years, international sports happen. And <laughs> Unless there's a pandemic. Happy. Yes. I do love, by the way, that it's still called the 2020 Olympics. What had to happen uh, where they decided was, they would keep it the same? I was talking about this with Sylvia a few days ago. Uh, I think I read somewhere that one of the big issues was that all the marketing material had been produced Mm. and it would have been such a waste of like to throw all of that away like right uh, from flyers and just you know printed materials to but there you know, must all have kinds been of still toys. so much wasted anyway though because like we're in a completely different context yeah i know right like if but you I produced a like a thing and it showed like full stadiums <laughs> like well that's gonna be weird <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's like know. when apple shipped was it the iphone 10s and it mentioned air power in the literature yeah. same thing mm. it's the same it's like all of these are gonna have like a really weird date on them this episode of connected is made possible by hello hello make incredible comfortable buckwheat pillows these are really different to your regular fluffy pillows because they support your head and neck they don't collapse under the weight of that big brain of yours like traditional pillows do they stay cool and dry compared to feather or foam pillows, so you don't have to do the thing where like it's hot and humid and you try to flip over to the cool side of the pillow. Hello pillows are always cool. You can add or remove filling to suit your needs, so it can be just the way you like it. People have been sleeping on buckwheat pillows for years. They're popular in Japan and apparently on pillow menus at fancy hotels. I got a Hello Pillow several years ago, and I've shared this before, but my daughter stole it. She really likes it. Uh, I think mainly because she can just dial it in right where she wants it height-wise. And it's just, it's great. I tried taking it back from her, and she won't let me. They're the best. That's why. That's a good it's test. True. Hello is made in the U.S. of A. with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the United States. You can try a Hello Pillow, sleep on it for 60 nights, and if it's not for you, you can send it back for a refund. Head on over to hellopillow.com connected to get your own buckwheat pillow. 
That's hellopillow.com slash connected. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off depending on what size you're opting for. They have fast, free shipping with every order, and 1% of all profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. So give Hello a try. If you love it, keep it, and if you don't, you can send it back. Head on over to hellopillow.com slash connected. Our thanks to Hello for the support of the show and Relay FM. So the public betas for iOS and iPadOS were released today, mm. just slightly before mm-hmm. we recorded. Federico published uh, a big article where, and I think Federico actually wrote his entire iOS review. Uh, I will quote from Federico's article. If you're installing the iOS 15 public beta today and want to show it off to your friends, know this. Live text in the camera and custom focus modes make for the best demos, followed by the new weather app and rethought. Multitasking controls on iPad. SharePlay is neat but can feel already dated now that more countries are rolling out vaccinations. The new Safari needs some more work. Mail is surprisingly unchanged despite the rise of remote work in the past year. That's how I describe iOS and iPadOS 15 in two sentences as of the first first public beta release today so wrap it up everyone yeah, yeah. you got the summer off baby congrats yeah. congrats I'm done <laughs> thank you thank you uh well that 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 is actually like the also the your i think this article you're um taking a look at a preview of what the of what the review is going to be like right that that some of the some of the themes that i could that we I say shared. that this is the public beta of federico's ios oh! review Yes, <laughs> that is actually true. That is absolutely correct. Like some, and we're gonna talk about this later because you're you're curious as to why I wanted to publish this story. But yeah, this is a preview of what I'm what I've been working on and sort of how I'm approaching these updates. Uh, I don't think, and, and I think actually looking through some of the other stories that I saw on other websites today, I feel like this is m- more or less the consensus right now. Like these updates are a grab bag of features and there's not a single like big thing that is the obvious one to to say, yeah, iOS 15 has this thing. Like you could have said 13, dark mode, iOS 14, widgets. And you usually have that kind of big feature that you explain to someone who doesn't follow tech news. Mm-hmm. In this case, you have a bunch of smaller things, and some of them are pretty good. Some of them feel already old, and some of them they're gonna need a lot more work, like Safari. Mm-hmm. Did we know at the time that it was widgets last year? Well, we had a feeling that it was going to be the thing for developers to focus on and it was like going to be the feature to talk about. And I, at least personally, that's why I spent like the, the the home screen chapter is the one that I spent the most time on in my right. review last year. We did not expect the sort of, you know, home screen aesthetic type viral thing. Thanks, but David. Al- <laughs> yeah. But also when it happened... Like, we were surprised, but we understood why. Like, yeah, I guess, you know, this is I think fun the surprise to play around with. was it was just weird for something that the nerds are so excited about for everyone to also be excited yeah. about it. I, yeah. I wonder what that'll do to the adoption rate. You know, 14 had a really good adoption curve as opposed to 13, which had a really rough start and I think a pretty bad reputation pretty early on. But now with 15, assuming it goes well and it's not a, a buggy stew of sadness when it comes out like will people be willing to update for a new feature i'm not sure there's anything in here 
like widgets. I'm not sure the last time there was something like widgets. It's usually emoji, right, which comes later. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing yeah. that people update for. I, I, don't, I don't think that... I can't recall an, an operating system feature that went viral other than widgets. I don't, I don't think that that yeah. has been a normal, a normal thing. I will actually ask you now before we kind of, I want to drill into a little bit about some of the stuff that you were talking about Federico, but why have you like written this story? Isn't it taking time off from writing the review, which ultimately is the most important thing for you to be doing right now? Right. Well, um, first of all, I put this together in a couple of days. So I was really happy about that, that I was able to make it happen on a relatively short notice. Um, but also, yeah, but also, lo- like you've, you know, like every, I mean, yeah, a couple of days is a couple of days, but like if that's half a week, it's not that many weeks yeah, until September, middle of September, you know, it comes up fast. Oh, oh I'm saying this is someone as if they, you don't know how fast it is until the middle of September, but you know. The thing is, though, that a lot of the, a lot of the sections that I've shared here, and I've, and I've done this before. Nobody ever notices. And if they do, they understand. Like a lot of this stuff, I am going to reuse and I'm going to recycle in the review. So it's like, yeah, technically I haven't written the review these past couple of days, but also I also kind of did because most of these sections I will incorporate in the main story and I will update them and I will revise them. I will dig deeper into some aspects, but the sort of the, the core structure of things like focus, for example, and iPad multitasking, like all of that I can reuse and I can expand upon, but the work is already done, right? So um, I actually have a note in, a, in Obsidian called Sections I Can Reuse. And that contains uh, links to things that I'm working on this summer, like in Mac Stories Weekly, for example, or in this case, this article, uh, that when the time comes that I'm going to be working on those chapters, I uh, will be cutting and pasting and uh, going from there. I guess maybe that's like the, um, the factual parts, right? Like the opinion part could change or might not, but could change, right? Honestly, the main risk with this story was how much time do I want to spend talking about Safari? Because I feel like that's the that's the one feature that could change a lot. And that technically, to your point, could mean wasted time right now while I should be focusing on the review. But then I also thought, well, if I have a ch- like a chance to somewhat influence some changes right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Safari, because I really care about Safari then I guess I should share my opinion, you know, besides the podcast, like I should have a place on Mac stories where, you know, maybe somebody at Apple can go and be like, hey, look at this guy. He doesn't like this feature in Safari. So I thought maybe if it's useful to have it on the record on Mac stories, I want to just point out and have a list of all the things that aren't working for me right now. Is that also part of the thinking behind the section I really enjoyed, which was what I'd like to see improved for each portion. Okay. Yes. So I thought, so I thought what, what could be, so I, I went about those sections in two ways. One, I want to make it easier for people who maybe may have the power to affect some change. I wanted to make it easier to, to see a list of things like, like a bullet list of, of things I do not like. But also, I thought it could be easier and also fun to take a look at these bullet points in a few months, right? And do a comparison of like what's changed in the in the final release of iOS 15. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's 
for me and for other people as well. Uh, and also, like, it's a public beta, so, like, I wanted to make it easier to, to you know, I have the story and all the sections and, and the, the opinions and all that, but also have a, you know, a quick actionable place where you can go and see the things I don't like. Yeah, I think that was a really smart way of doing it as opposed to having it all as just one big thing. Yeah. Wall of text, yes. Right. Uh, and I think especially with Safari, there are going to be people who download the public beta and freak out <laughs> about <Yeah. laughs> how Safari is. And so having that available to them is good. I guess it also is fun in a way, uh, not that I'm saying you would do this, of course, Federico, but it's fun in a way to, as things change, if they do change stuff, you can point, someone could point to your article and be like, see, I told you. Oh, well, bragging Not that you would also, do that. Right. No, no you I would do, do that. that. No, someone I could do that. Oh, yeah. No, I will do <laughs> no, that. I don't, I don't care. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I've done the work, and and I believe in my opinions, so why not? Um, so you broke this down into three main sections you were covering, which are arguably, uh, or maybe not even arguably, the main areas of change, Focus, Safari, and iPadOS multitasking. I guess I, I honestly do think SharePlay could be more of a thing, but we haven't really been able to experience all that SharePlay can do yet. Like, this might be a thing that we need to wait a bit more time to see for you to at least or you would need to wait a bit more time to get some apps i'm very skeptical about that like okay. I, I think it's technically impressive but the the more time i spend looking at it and and talking to developers who are building shareplay apps the more um i feel like i'm living through the summer of ios 10 again and with iMessage apps like i'm really getting oh, that wow. kind of vibe really and, yeah, I think it's technically impressive. It's really cool. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think this will uh, catch on, really. I'm people. hoping to see some interesting collaboration things built out of the technology. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, if you want to use collaborative software, do you really want to be on a FaceTime call every single time? Do you always have to be on a FaceTime call? I thought there was that whiteboard app that everyone keeps talking about that they demoed in a thing. Was that on a FaceTime call? I think they always have to be initiated via FaceTime, right? I, I have no idea. If that's the case, then I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, that's okay. my main issue with it. I believe SharePlay needs to be initiated from the FaceTime call, whether it's audio or video, but you need to be on a FaceTime call. I think so. It's not like... It's not like uh, like uh, Google Docs collaboration or, or Apple Notes collaboration. Right, it, okay. SharePlay is part of FaceTime, which is why, like, it's, I don't want to be on a call every single time. And I may be wrong. Again, uh, developers have been able to submit SharePlay betas as of last night, I believe. Um, and, uh, and I haven't written the SharePlay chapter of my review yet, so I may be wrong. Yeah. But I also... I'm pretty sure that it's all based on FaceTime. So, but anyway, the the areas that you focus on, focus is one of the focus points. Uh, I'm excited about this feature. I haven't really spent the time setting stuff up properly yet because I only have focus. Uh, so I only have iOS 15, iPadOS 15 on my iPad. I feel like until I put it on my iPhone, I'm gonna wait to really spend the time setting up properly. Um, so far, have you been enjoying? having like a focus mode for your iOS review? Has it been beneficial to you? 
Yeah, it's been great. Uh, and it's been especially nice on iPad where uh, with the focus mode you can uh, obviously silence notifications, but also you can combine um, hiding other home screen pages, right? And I can also uh, run shortcuts automatically when a focus, uh, when a specific focus uh, is triggered. So th that combination of like you enable a specific focus in control center and multiple th things happen, uh, that's been really beneficial to me. So that when I turn on the iOS review focus, I see my iOS review home screen and a timery shortcut is activated so that I can start a, a timer in toggle mm -hmm. so that that's been really helpful and and i'm actually thinking about other home screens based along this idea like maybe a music home screen could be fun like when i'm sitting down and and then listening to music with my sony headphones and either an audio player or lossless in apple music uh maybe i could have a music home screen with a bunch of music widgets and you know that kind of stuff i'm exploring that idea yeah i love how it can be tied into shortcuts yeah, like it's so obvious, you know. Like when you, see, it's like that it makes so much sense that as well as add having like that special home screen, it could also just do things on the device for you. Um, I'm I'm into that. Like I think that that's really smart, and I also like that it's two way, right? That it can trigger it can trigger some shortcuts when you turn it on, right? Or shortcuts can turn one on. Right, if that makes sense. Like it's two, it's in two different ways it can be used. Which yes. Is cool. Yeah, th that is really cool, and I think it, I think that makes it more likely that more people will use it as opposed to like it's a manual thing you just forget all the time. Anything you can automate that way is better. Uh, I'm I'm curious though because this is much more up the alley of the two of you than it is me. Mm -hmm. Is this something like you will have something in use all the time? Something that you will just have under certain circumstances? Like what have you learned about it and how you may use it so far? Well, I think for for focus, I I prefer to activate it when I'm working, like for sure. When especially when I'm writing, and I need to just I I really need to to concentrate and just think about writing. That uh, whether it's the review or the newsletter or Mac stories, that's been really helpful. Um, I created my own driving focus because I didn't like the default one. Like, for example, with the default driving mode, it disables interactions altogether on the iPhone. And I'm not saying that I want to use my iPhone while I'm driving, but that also means that my girlfriend needs to confirm every single time, um, <laughs> like, I'm not driving, let me use this iPhone, if she wants to control music on my, on my device, uh, which is connected to Bluetooth. And also, if I'm waiting at a, at a stop because I got a red light, for example, I need to say I'm not driving, but I'm still technically driving. So I, I think that's a, that's a bit, you know, it gets a bit tires, tiresome after a while. So I created my own driving focus that basically does all the things that the Apple one does, but it doesn't have the disabling interactions on the lock screen. And the other modes, so... I was thinking a, a few days ago, like I could have a like I could have a beach mode, for example, where when I turn on and I haven't built this yet, but I think I will, um, where I could use focus not necessarily to silence notifications, but as a trigger for other things. So like enabling low power mode, for example, um, you know, switching off the five G network because it, the, I don't have five G at the beach despite you know being vaccinated. Um, 
<laughs> and you know uh, so basically using focus as a as a manual trigger for contextual changes that i want to apply to my iphone i am also not the kind of person who is going to keep do not disturb enabled at all times during the day right if i'm browsing twitter or if i'm doing email you know not that kind of creative work it's fine if i get notifications so for me, I think on a regular basis, I'm mostly going to enable it when I'm writing. Uh, even when I'm recording podcasts, for example, I need to be able to see notifications if something happens. Like if, I'm, if my dogs do something in the other room and I have a home camera or if Sylvia is texting me, right? I need to be able to get alerts when I'm doing a podcast. But when I'm doing creative work, that's when I want to block uh, distractions. So for me... It is what you just said, which is what I like. So at the moment, all I have is all notifications or do not disturb. And I'm my plan is to make some focus modes for certain things. Like I would have a recording podcast focus mode, which would be which would allow certain notifications to come through. So like I have do not disturb on on my iMac all the time. So I'm not getting all kinds of notifications while we're recording. So, it, so I'm not distracted. But it could mean that I miss something important. Like if one of you needs to tell me something during the show, I just have to hope I'm going to see it, right? Like randomly because I noticed that the iMessage thing is ticking up, right? Like the badge on the on the app icon. But what I would really like is on my Mac for, say, our group thread on iMessage to actually be able to notify me rather than then and then also being able to get rid of messages from everybody else during that period of time, you know? So for me, like I'm going to be pretty granular, I think, and I'm going to set up a bunch. I'm not going to have, I think, it sync across all my devices. So like I leave my iPads in um, uh, Do Not Disturb all the time. Same. Because I just don't need that. But that means I, you know, I can't have those sync. So like, for example, I may just set up like an iPad focus mode and just put both of my iPads on that one, right, for example, or something like that. So I'm really into it. But the, one of the other things which is super cool about it is the home screen things, like you were saying about the beach, right, that there might be a certain set of apps which are like more helpful for you to have right there on the home yep. screen when you're at the beach or widgets or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that stuff is like, is awesome, I think. Yeah, that has impressed me about it so far is how deep the customization seems to be. And I think we could debate, and, and I suspect that you will, uh, in the review about sort of the opt-in versus opt-out type of settings you have. Like, I think it could be even easier in some ways, but the fact that it touches home screen changes, which we saw show up last year for the first time, the fact that it syncs across, like... It, it's it's a new feature, but it's taking advantage of other features that Apple already has had. And I like when they are able to build on what they've had in the past. You know, sometimes Apple has something come out and it's like, well, this is connected to this other thing, but you didn't hook it up. Like, why aren't these things talking to each other? And with this, it feels like focus is really thought through across all the different platforms and features where it makes sense. Even the fact that you can... The applications can make it so, like if you if Stephen messaged me on Slack, it would still come through, for example, because it's still Stephen. Yeah, hopefully they do that. Although I don't Slack. exactly know how that works yet. No, that is a thing that can happen. Oh, I know, I know. I just, I'm saying hopefully Slack takes advantage of that because... Yeah, I don't really know how that works, but that's not for me to know. 
This episode of Connected is brought to you by OneBlocker, the premier content blocker for Safari on iOS and Mac. In addition to blocking obtrusive ads, OneBlocker can also block trackers, annoying pop-ups, those EU cookie notices, comment sections, and much, much more. It's super easy to configure. The app itself will guide you through the process, which is basically just flipping a few switches. And after turning OneBlocker on, you can close the app and enjoy sites without ads or other content you don't want to see. OneBlocker has been made by an indie developer since 2015. It's been featured by Apple, TechCrunch, Mac Stories, and more. The average app has six trackers, but OneBlocker's new version has an in-app tracker blocking software called Firewall, which automatically blocks known trackers, analytic services, user behavior measurement services, email tracking pixels, and more on all of the apps on your iOS device. It's a great addition to the Safari content blockers that work just in Safari. One blocker is secure by design. All the blocking is performed in the background of the device itself. Your traffic will not be sent through VPN servers, which also means no slowdowns. I've had one blocker on all my devices for years. It really is great. I like that I can have uh, custom rules, which I really find useful. It's just, it's a great, great app. As a listener of Connected, you can get a two-week free trial plus a month of premium for free at oneblocker.com slash connected. And OneBlocker is a universal purchase, so buy it once and download it on both your iOS and macOS devices. It also supports family sharing for up to six people. So once again, go to oneblocker.com slash connected for a two-week free trial and a month of premium for free. Our thanks to OneBlocker for their support of the show and Relay FM. Uh, Safari. I mean, I, I've read your article, so I know the answer to this, yeah. but any change in feelings? <laughs> There's a few things I, I like in the new Safari, right? Um, the start page extensions. Um, well, the fact that the, the top view is now a grid view. I think that's really that's so much better than than iOS 14, but the more I use Safari, the more I feel like, especially on the iPhone. I think we we mentioned this before. I feel like the iPad version is somewhere in the middle. Uh, I know that that Stephen also has a lot of opinions about Safari on the Mac, and I feel like Safari on the iPhone. The, the more I use it, the more I, I keep coming to the same conclusion. I got one positive change out of this, which is, yeah, I have an address bar at the bottom and that's easier to reach. But because of that single positive change, there's a whole list of negative changes, right? A whole list of trade-offs that needed to happen in order to make that design possible. And it's been three weeks, right? So you will hope that if the argument was, it's just a matter of muscle memory. You would hope that in almost a month, since I've been using this, I would get the hang of it and I would be used to it at this point, especially because I'm really using it and I'm taking notes and I'm writing about it and I'm using it every day. But every time I use it, I'm like, man, I, I really don't like this. Like, yeah, it's easier to reach, but everything else is, at least for me, worse than before. And I pick up my... 10s Max running uh, iOS 14, which is my test device for the old OS. And I look at Safari and I'm like, you know, the address bar is at the top, 
but everything else is so much nicer. I got proper navigation arrows and a share button and a reload button and I got a pop-up menu for website settings. Everything is in its right place and I don't have to go hunt down things in secret menus or via hidden gestures. And so I have to wonder, which is also what I wrote in the story, I have to wonder, is it really worth it to accept all these trade-offs just to have that unified address bar at the bottom. And that's on the iPhone. On the iPad, you could also say it's somewhat better because you have a sidebar that makes access to certain features easier because they're right there in the sidebar. But that tab view on iPad with the unified design where the current tab is also the address bar and you don't have the separation between tabs and address bar anymore, that's also really rough. And, and again, I wonder, uh, sure, I've probably gained like 20, 30 pixels on web pages, right? Um, I see 20 more vertical pixels on a web page, but everything else is so much worse than before. Is that really worth it? And I'm not sure the answer is yes. I don't think the answer is yes. Now, I also feel like Apple really believes in this design, uh, and, and, I mean, you can tell because they also did a WWDC session about designing for the new Safari. That's usually not a good sign as to how much things can change, right? I mean, the company did a session about it, <laughs> and they have documentation, so... That's what I keep thinking about. Like, if they change it, does that session just, like, quietly go away? <laughs> it's like, it's never here! <laughs> Do you just invalidate the session? So maybe, maybe the solution is just make it a setting. And I know that it's not, you know, an attractive You're proposition. Well, there's no point keeping it if you make it a setting. Well, maybe look, maybe some folks like the address bar at the bottom. Maybe some folks don't want to have these the the standalone address bar. I don't think this is the kind of thing where a single universal design can please everyone. No, they they're going to choose in my opinion to be they choose a route. They either stick to what they're doing now or they refine what they're doing now or they go back. Because stuff like the fact that they want the entire web to redesign to deal with this, they're not going to get that if you can turn it off, right? I, I, I would be really surprised if they made any of the Safari UI stuff a setting. Like, I cannot imagine that being a thing that they would do. Well, then I guess so. They're either just going to make you like it, right? Or, you know, as in, like, you're just going to have to deal with it or they'll change it. Honestly, I think that's that's what's going to happen, realistically. They're just going to listen to feedback, apply some changes, like maybe the reload button will come back. Maybe, you know, the... the, the, the they're like two-thirds of the way there, right? So iPadOS and macOS Beta 2 have brought the reload button back in some way. On hover, yeah, it's yeah. kind of, they, they kind of brought it back. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think they're going to make it a setting. I think they're just going to force us to use this for a year until, you know, maybe maybe actually we'll see another replica of what happened with Mail, where they tried to force us to use the, the simplified toolbar in Apple Mail. And as soon as they push it out to, to public release, everybody started complaining, like, I don't know how to archive my mail anymore. I don't know how to reply to mail anymore. And then <laughs> needed to change that in the next uh, beta. What was that iOS 13, I think, or 14? Yeah, everything was just behind the reply button. Yeah. 
and a lot of stuff still is. They moved like two things out of it. So I, I think if that's the recipe, then we'll see a couple of minor Safari changes. I think mostly on the iPhone, I agree with you. I think that's where it's the worst. And yeah. but, the but, rest of it is uh, just here to stay. I can tell you, I I gave my iPhone to Sylvia a few days ago because I asked her, can you look up something on, on Google? And she opened Safari and, and I could tell that she didn't know what to do because she just kept staring at the phone. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the new Safari. And she, the only thing she said was, I hate it. So um, <laughs> I'm curious. She, she's got a pretty good sense of like how the general public sees these things. I want to see how this goes. Honestly, because... Well, like, this is why they do the public beta, though, right? Still, regular people don't install the public beta, right? It's still, like, tech... I think it's more than you think, man. Yeah, like, they had they gave a number a couple of years ago, and it was, like, millions and millions of users. I mean, it wasn't a yeah. billion, but... There is a... It's um, more than just, like, the connected audience. There is a... Like, there's, like, expanding circles of people. And, like, there are people that are quote, interested in technology that we would consider general users, right? Because they're not listening to this show or any tech podcast, but they love gadgets. We've all met these people in our lives, right? Mm. People who love gadgets, like the type of person that will say to you, oh man, Apple sucks for all these reasons. And, you know, like, like, or like, hey, do you know, I was reading, do you know that Apple plans for their devices to go obsolete you know we've all met these people right like it's that kind of user who i think is still more of a general user but they are interested in technology and i think that that is a very large amount of people and they're going to be as upset about safari as probably you and every other user in the world well maybe if they work harder they'll become admiral users that's good not just general users that's really good. We'll see. We'll see. I wonder if uh, do those people also file feedback that Apple sees and and act upon. Like, there's also a conversation to be had here. Yeah. H- what What's the feedback? Like, what's Apple's relationship to feedback in this case? My expectation with the public beta is Apple pays attention to what is trending on Twitter. I hope so. Yeah, so. but with our luck, it'll trend the day iOS 15 comes out. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Safari's yeah. got to be in the top three or four most used apps on the phone. Like People are going to freak out, especially because this tab design and this layout isn't anywhere else. It's not like messages and mail and files got all this like stuff at the bottom and doing all these weirdo slidey things. Like It's just Safari. If it were everywhere, maybe people would be less upset about it or like upset in a different way. That's a really good point, Stephen. Why is only Safari like this? Mm-hmm. Give me yeah. those tabs in Finder. No, I'm just kidding. Please, please don't. Apple, please don't. No, but just like, also just like moving the most important UI to the bottom. Yeah, well, and they've done it in Apple Maps, but Apple Maps looks totally different from Safari. It's like, pick a lane. Honestly, you want to hear my, my opinion on this? Yes. Um, yeah. This to me feels like the kind of thing where someone in design spent a lot of time using Safari on the iPhone last year and they decided, you know what, I think we need to put this at the bottom because I think it's harder for me to use. I'm not convinced that a lot of engineers in the Safari team like the new Safari, but it's just 
how these things go, you know? You're this told is high up enough. You're told that you need to ship a certain design and that's just what you got to do. And then maybe you don't like it and maybe you try to work things out with your manager, right? And you tell them, look, this is bad for these and these reasons, but that manager needs to go to another manager, you know? You know how these companies work, Mike. You worked in, in a big company. Mm -hmm. And it's like sometimes someone high up makes a decision and it trickles down and you just got to make it happen. And but this is why we this is why we we do podcasts. This is why we write articles. This is why I do the bullet list, right? To try and and sway opinions a certain directions when I believe that things are not good enough. And and this really honestly this really sucks for me because I really love Safari and I really like I know a lot of people who work on Safari. And they're really smart people. And Safari has always been like one of the few apps that I take out from my apps chapter and I make it a standalone chapter in my review. That's how much I care about Safari because I really use Safari a lot. But this is not good enough. I don't know. I don't know. And iPadOS multitasking. I would like mm. to take a moment here to talk about a regression in beta 2 that I'm really upset about. So in beta 1, there were two keyboard shortcuts that you could use. One to replace the app on the left and one to replace the app on the right. These have been replaced now with one keyboard shortcut, which replaces the app that you're currently focused on, okay. which isn't always as clear as it seems. You might want to replace the app on the left and you do like globe, it's like globe, another key, down, and it replaces whatever app the the iPadOS thinks is in focus, that might not mm. be the one that you wanted to change, right? Right. So I think they've made a mistake here with this change because they have, uh, when you only have one app open, there is two keyboard shortcuts, tile window left and tile window right. So you can pick the other one. But then when you have two open, it goes to one keyboard shortcut, which is replace app. And I, I don't understand why they've done this uh, because then the tile window left and tile window right ones, the new ones, what they let you do is flip the apps that you're using, right? right? So the left one becomes the right one, the right one becomes the left one. It feels like that they have made it both more simple and more complicated than it was in beta one. And I don't understand why they've done this. So what you're asking for is to restore separate keyboard shortcuts for replacing the app on either side. So replace app on the left, replace app on the right. Yeah, I mean, it's just tile window left and tile window right, but always, Right. which is what it was before. Right. But now when you have two apps open, tile window left and tile window right, those keyboard shortcuts do a different thing, which is flip the apps around. Right, right. And I don't really know why you do that. I feel like these keyboard, these keyboard commands that, that you're asking for, they should exist, and you could potentially also combine them with Spotlight, right? So mm -hmm. you could see how, because right now, and I wrote about this in the story, right now, if you want to bring in a different app into a split view using search, you need to kind of do it backwards, which is first you need to tile a window, and then you need to search, Whereas I think it would be much easier to just say, let me search, let me highlight the app I want to use, and then let me press a keyboard command to say, put this on the left or put this on the right. I hope the reason that they have changed the shortcuts is because they're working on that feature. Yeah. That's what yeah. I hope. 
but that is yeah. a hope. But like at the moment, it seems like that they have, I think, made it more complicated and not as useful as it was in beta one. Yeah. Where you could have a reliable shortcut, uh, like keyboard shortcut, that did uh, the reliable thing every time. You did the one for left and you changed the app on the left. You did the one for right, you changed the app on the right. Where now you can do that when you have one app open, but then when you have two app open, it just swaps the apps around, which doesn't make any sense to me. And then you have to do a different keyboard shortcut to replace one of the apps. But the app that, but whenever you hit that, you have to already know which app is in focus, which is not an easy thing to do still on iPadOS. Yeah. Or it can be easy to know which is in focus, but to get the iPadOS to change which app it thinks is the focus app is still a problem. I, I still kind of wish that there was a like an accessibility setting to make the active app indicator more visually prominent. So like, mm-hmm. I think a really good example here is Obsidian. When you open multiple notes and you have um, multiple panes open in, in Obsidian, you get this colored, this thin colored bar at the right underneath the title bar, and that's really helpful because it, it's like a, a it's like a highlight for the active note, mm-hmm. right? And I I kind of would like to see that like a, like a colored highlights like something else besides the little you know pill shaped um, indicator that gets slightly darker for the active application in a split view i still feel like that should be more visually obvious as to which app of the two is the active one now i'm gonna see how this goes i think with if it's not changed in the next beta i'll file the feedback because this is a particularly difficult one for me to try and explain yeah in a feedback because it's complicated and also i don't remember what the previous shortcuts were right so yeah. like to try and explain it is complicated yeah. i did file one feedback remember i think i was complaining about the fact that they broke indenting and out then or was it indent left and indent right they fixed it yes they haven't updated my feedback but they fixed it so <laughs> hooray <laughs> Look, you can't have everything you want mike that's true that's very true yeah i can only get one thing at a time that's right so if i want indent what is it indent left and indent right mm-hmm. uh I have to lose the multitasking shortcuts that I want. Yeah. You can only have one left to right feature. So, too bad. Anything else in uh, beta 2 we should talk about? Uh, maybe not today. Okay. Yeah. We will revisit this because we have a long summer of betas ahead of us. Until then, if you want to... F- we may have beta We may have beta 3 next week. So, right? We'll see. Where they go back to Safari from iOS 7. <laughs> You want it simple, Six. huh? Look, honestly. Brush metal yeah. safari on the iPhone. Mm, okay. I'm just saying, they have it somewhere on a hard drive. I will say, Federico, if they bring back that old tab view because of you, I'll never forgive you. I just want you to know. <laughs> no, you can keep the grid view. Look, it's not that difficult. Literally every other iPhone browser does this. They have a button to open tabs, and when you click that, you see a grid view. Okay. The grid view does not depend on the other things. It's fine. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Just like, oh, you don't want the new Safari features, no. huh? You don't get any <laughs> of them. They're all gone. <laughs> uh, all right, well. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, including Federico's excellent overview of where iOS and iPadOS 15 are, check out our show notes. This week you can find those links on the web at relay.fm slash connected slash 352. While you're there, you can get in touch with feedback or follow-up. There's an email link there on the side of the page. 
Or you can do it on Twitter. You can find us all there. Federico is there as Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Of course, he's the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net and hard at work on uh, reviews. I know John is too, so y'all are, mm-hmm. y'all are busy boys. You can find Mike on Twitter as iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Mike, uh, what's something else cool that you do? Uh, I would like to recommend people go and listen to the most recent episode of The Test Drivers, where we interviewed Panos Panay, who's the chief product officer at Microsoft for Windows and devices. It was a really great interview. I I really enjoyed it. He's a cool guy. Very cool. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH and my writing over at 512pixels.net. If you like this show and are looking for other cool podcasts from Relay FM, check out Make Do. You don't have to monetize your hobbies, but if you want to, Make Do is ready to be your cheerleader in podcast form. Listen as you work on your hobby with Tiff Armit and Julia Scott over at relay.fm slash make do or search for make do wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to thank Memberful, Hello, and OneBlocker for sponsoring this episode of Connected. And until next time, guys, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Bye, y'all.